Hey there. Welcome to More Than a Crush, a podcast about love. Each week, we pick a theme and share a story about one of the many facets of love. We are your hosts. I'm Marion Bolognese, an artist and designer recording from New York. And I'm Kim Berry, a therapist broadcasting from New Jersey. Hey, crushers, it's Kim. More Than a Crush is on hiatus before we drop season two in January 2021. But fear not, tis the season. And today we are regifting you a special episode, crazy little thing called love. Maybe by contrast, it'll make your family look a little more sane. Zero judgment. Love you. Mean it. It is fucking hot tonight, right? It is. Hot! (laughs) Hot. It's hot. Very hot tonight. You never really prepared for that first really hot night, I feel like. It's like you you wanted it to be warm weather so much, but you just didn't Mm -hmm. want it to be like the super hot night, right? No. I think... It's kind of law of the extremes. You want the the hot, hot heat so you can appreciate that cool breeze. Yeah. I mean, that's the ideal. We have had like a couple beautiful, beautiful nights where you can just sleep with the windows open and the breeze. And it's just so, so spectacular. 70 degrees. And you, and you can hear the peepers. Yeah, you can hear the peepers. I mean, I love the hot weather, but whatever. I think that it's fine. I don't, I mean, I enjoy summer. I enjoy spring. I enjoy like that warm lingering f- fall. However, uh, I have a lot of cranky people in my house who don't tolerate heat well. <laughs> so it's just more emotions for me to manage. So like I manage emotions all day at work and then I get to walk in a very hot place. Also, I have to say this, uh, where I work, they, I, I was working in an incredibly old building, like a a building way older than my house built in the 1800s and then work purchased and renovated this beautiful space, another old building, but just like state of the art, beautiful, very tasteful, all the trappings of a brand new building in older facade. And it had central air. And all last summer, when we weren't ready to move in yet, we were like, but you know what? Next summer at work, we're going to central air. It's going to yeah. be awesome. And here we are working remotely. And I'm in my old house that does not have central air. And I'm on the top floor where it is hot. It is confidential and all that good stuff. And I'm grateful to have a dedicated space, not have to struggle with the rest of the household base, but it is hot, hot, hot. And there is unused central air happening in a building that we can't access right now, which is, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> I want, I I want to, and a brand new house that does not have central air. And that is for one reason. And that reason is that my husband has a absolute vendetta against air conditioning. Even pregnant, we only had one air conditioning in our New York City apartment to cool the whole apartment and it was just not. I literally slept with a fan in the bed. (laughs) And I was like, you don't get- That sounds safe. If we get central air, then you can not have, because he doesn't like things blowing on him. You cannot have your wife sleeping with a fan inside of your bed it's in the bed like I had it flowing <laughs> basically like up onto my body from my feet like every single that was during pregnancy right now and we have a fan in our room and we have a basement which is very cool and mm-hmm. on the one night a year that it gets so hot that you can't tolerate it 
in this neck of the woods. I will just pack up my little girls and bring them down to the basement and the three of us will sleep down there and Eric can enjoy the still heat in the bedroom by himself. Speaking of still heat. I just sent you a picture of probably the the person who's creature, not a person, the creature who's enjoying the heat the most. Well, we, that's his that's his stressed out he looks look. Very happy. Yeah. Apparently cats happy temperature. It's going to make me sound like such a crazy cat person. Their happy temp is like 88 degrees. Really? Yeah. That's why they're always baking in the sun. Yeah, that's why they find all the the all the sunbeams to hang out in. You know, they desert. Yeah. I feel like first documented um now cat domesticated cats were in Egypt, right? Ancient Egypt. Yeah, so I mean that's it's there. So you know what I've been doing? In the evening I tend to watch television and I've been using like Okay, instead of watching The Office for the umpteenth time or re-watching this kind of like light fodder sitcoms, I've been trying to watch something that I can be like, well, you know what? If I watch maybe a documentary or like a rom-com or a, like fill in the blank, maybe I can lie to myself and pretend that this is research for the podcast. Yeah. Which I have to say is just, you know what? Even if it's not usable material, I think it's still good to sometimes just shake it up a little bit, watch something different. I really want to tell you, and not as like my segment associated with the theme tonight, but I really just want to recommend a movie I watched and I'm not going to cover it because I don't think I could do it justice. I watched this documentary on Hulu called Dina. It's lovely. I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel like my internal sarcasm would like undermine the sincerity of the movie itself. Okay. It's just, it's lovely. It's actually, it's, it would be a rom, a scripted rom-com if it wasn't actually just a documentary on this woman and it's on this woman, Dina. And I have to say I had a lot of buy-in because first they're like, Oh, a Philadelphia woman. And I'm like, Oh, Philadelphia, go on. Actually, she's not in Philly, like center city, but she's at one point they're at like the mall I used to go to. And I'm like, Hey, I used to watch movies at that AMC too. (laughs) And it's all about her. And she's this very outspoken woman. She continuously references this very challenging past that she's had. And then they cover it and it's, she wasn't minimizing anything. She definitely had some challenging pasts. And then she's falling in love and, and meets Scott, who is this kind of sheltered guy. And she really kind of drags him out of his shell. And they, they go to like the Jersey shore for the first time. He never seen the ocean, never been to the ocean. And it's just kind of like this very lovely interaction that's just very sincere it's wonderful it's a lovely feel good and i recommend it yeah i'll, I'll watch it so that we never watch any kind of sitcoms this is just i think we, we are like a documentary only house documentary and the occasional bingeable thing that i sneak into the mix if you could watch all things ken burns non-stop on repeat he would he would just loop that shit. he would just loop the civil war mm, no the new york one it's my favorite we watched the Roosevelt's recently, which is really good. Ooh. Yeah. I find them enjoyable. Yeah. The jazz one was good. I just can't just only watch that, but he's great. I love documentaries as well. I will say there's nothing better than a really, really good documentary. 
I mean, this wasn't, this isn't something to shatter your mind. I just loved it because it felt, I think you will enjoy that. It felt like you're watching a scripted, beautifully edited. And I think without kind of talking, you know, giving away anything really until you're about halfway through it, really don't divulge that the individuals that they're profiling have a lot of limitations, um, developmental disabilities, but they're incredibly autonomous. They're very independent and it isn't, they're not being, they're not being exploited in this. So it's not like, oh, let's watch these. You know, it's not, it's not a putting people down. It is, this is a very universal concept to be in love, to have relationships, to explore your sexuality. And it was just really lovely. Very well done. If I tried to cover it and tell it as a story, I would be too sarcastic and I would undermine the beautiful aspects of that. So I recommend it. Did you watch Crip Camp, the documentary no. Crip Camp? No. Oh, you should watch it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Everybody, you should watch it. I won't say anything about it. Uh, okay. It's very, very, very good. Um, it's not what you were saying, but sort of slightly related to it. Anyway, some amazing people in, in that documentary. Well, first of all, I wanted to say I've noticed I'm very impressed with your manicure. I recognize that manicure as it was still there when I visited you in March. This was my birthday manicure. This has been existence since February. Gel overlay finally came off of this one. Just one though. I, I sent a picture to Vonda. Vonda is the nail artist who does my nails. She uh, says I win the award. So I think you do. I think you win the award. Congratulations. You've won. Thank you. I'll send you a trophy in the mail. Would you care to um, introduce our theme tonight, Ken? Sure. I would love to talk about our theme. And our theme this evening is crazy little thing called love. Do everyone a favor and not sing. <laughs> oh gosh, I've already ruined it for everybody. I'm so sorry. sorry. What it would be like if we had like all the money in the world to have sample of the songs. That would be great. But then we wouldn't have you, you know, that that was beautiful. I only meant that I won't sing. <laughs> not a good thing for anybody if I do. I appreciate your contribution. And I think you did a beautiful job. And the dance. That's all right. Sorry, guys. We'll edit it out. <laughs> Our theme tonight is Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which so far, the previous two episodes that we've done, because I can't say, um, like our themes in general, um, they are open to interpretation. Right, Kim? So, yes. Knows. That's what I like about it. We're going to tell each other a story based on a theme, however we choose to interpret it. So and yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. I like it. Also, I, th- I like it because it's, it's kind of like a essay writing prompt where they're like, you know, talk about this, except this isn't since we're not, or at least I'm not drawing from personal experience. It, it allows me to guide myself down a variety of different internet rabbit holes. Right. Right on. Actually, today, I turned to YouTube for today's story. Really? I fell, yeah, I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole, which was kind of interesting. Different different media for me, anyway, to be researching something. Well, I, I used Wikipedia. But, however, I changed my, my story 
in the, at the last second, um, I was just chatting with my husband and I realized that I just greatly preferred this story. Can you tell us what the reject story was? I can, I can, but I might still do it someday. But right now, my, my reject story was the astronaut in diapers. Oh, <laughs> I'm actually surprised that you did it because we, when we were first workshopping this idea for the podcast, that was one of your, your go-to ones. So the fact that you're not using that really intrigues me to see what you went with. See, it wasn't though. It was just my on-the-spot explanation of how mm. I would interpret crazy little thing called love. And then when I was okay. really looking into it, I just realized the Lisa Marie you know, backstory is just not that interesting to me. And, you know, it's kind of a sad story. And, and that's really well, more my forte. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not let's leave this. That. Let's leave the I'm, sad, depressing shit for Kim. <laughs> I didn't even mean sad in that way. I just meant like, you know, aside from her, her driving into pop for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first? You want to tell us your story? Sure. I really didn't know where to start. When we first were picking themes and discussing different ideas for this podcast, I took a really original route for researching and I literally typed into the search bar, famous love stories. <laughs> And one that came up a couple of times was the story of Layla and Majun, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. And I was like, all right, well, Layla, I have some friends who have some daughters named Layla. Sorry, is this the Taj Mahal? No. Because I almost did the Taj Mahal for this. And I know that you've been just aching. In our two previous episodes, for us to have the same story, and I was like, "Shit, it's happening already." Okay, I'm sorry. Please, no, not yet. But, um, yeah, Taj Mahal is such such a monument. I can't wait to one day visit it. But no, that's not. Uh, so, but so there's Layla, right? And so I'm researching. I'm like, oh well, you know, our friends have daughters named Layla. Like, let's like, what? Tell me about why is this part of a love story, and. It actually, it's very interesting because you know the you know the um, the song Layla. Yeah, I just said got me on my knees. Yeah, crazy thing about the the Eric Clapton song Layla is that it's actually about who? I have no idea. What uh, George Harrison's wife? Yeah, Patty Boyd. I was always like, so if it's about Patty Boyd, why is the name of the song called Layla? Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why. So I'm going to tell you the story about Layla and Majun, and then. I'll tie it back to why, because this story is a hundred percent what Eric Clapton referenced when he wrote that like epic song for Patty Boyd. So this, first off, I just want to kind of my little asterisk footnote here is that in no way, shape or form am I about to do this epic love story, any kind of justice. And I say that because this is a Persian tale from the seventh century. Okay. And I only speak and read English and apparently it's truly in its best form in a variety of other languages. And I'm getting a very distilled version of, of all of this. And some of the places that I got information from was the philosophical research society. Um, 
and Wikipedia and a couple other places. So it's many epic poems by this Persian poet named Nizami Ganjavi. And that's who really made this love story absolutely famous. And I but took a snippet and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Maybe I will inspire you or our listeners to read the Persian poet Ganjavi and really like bask in the glory of this love story. So Lord Byron actually said that this, he thinks that this is the real inspiration for Romeo and Juliet as well. So this is, this is like, you know, old school love story. So it starts off with our, our little lovers, Quays and Layla. And it's interesting because there's many different versions where like the setting is they're in an urban setting in this city. Another one is they're out in this very, um, rural setting. It's all these different versions. So I have kind of just taken the information I can and just, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell it to you. So Kays and Layla, they meet in school and instantly, 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 instantly. Kays is just smitten with Layla. He immediately, the second he lays his eyes on her at school, he is in love. Uh, And he is so overcome with this love that he becomes inspired and immediately begins writing poems for her and about her. And not just like any kind of poems, poems. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to write a love poem. I'm going to write a poem about Layla. I'm going to use Layla's name in it repeatedly. And I'm going to go stand on the street corner and I'm going to recite them for anyone who will hear. (laughs) So he's not really low key about this whatsoever. He is, he is in love and he wants everyone to know it. Actually, as I'm saying that, do you know, (laughs) do you ever watch the movie Elf? Yes, I have. (laughs) Will Ferrell's like, I'm in love, I'm in love. (laughs) He's like spinning. (laughs) That's kind of how I'm. From the rooftops. Yeah, like that's that's our that's our friend Case. Okay. Um, however, this does not, not. I mean, he earns himself a reputation. People are like, he's crazy, crazy, Kay. and crazy, crazy Case. So much so that they start calling him Majun, which literally means uh, what does it crazy mean? Case. It means madman. It means crazy. The literal transi- translation means possessed by demons and spirits. Wow. So now, Kays is not Kays. Kays has been renamed. He, he dropped his government name, and he's strictly Majnun. Uh, and he's so just attracted and in love and dedicated to Layla that he goes to Layla's father and asks for her hand in, in marriage. Layla's father refuses because he feels it would be a straight up scandal for his daughter to be marrying the local madman. So even though he's only mad because of love, right? Love doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's madly in love with his daughter. He's, it's not going to work. So instead Layla is promised to this very old, rich man, businessman from a, a neighboring village. Sounds like fun. And, Majnun does not take this well. He is completely overcome with grief and he abandons life in the village and goes off to live in the wilderness among the wild animals and to compose more poetry, which is how Majnun and Layla 
continue to communicate. They write each other letters. I'm not actually sure who's giving, who's passing these letters back and forth. The poems, sorry, not letters, poems. But that's how they're now communicating. <laughs> um, pigeons. Yeah, I mean, I mean, apparently a really big piece of this this poem is that Majnun is like in it with the animals. They protect him. You know, they're they're just... He's there with the animals. So why not train one to deliver poems? I don't know. Uh, Layla's then forced to marry the old rich dude who's a merchant. And even though she doesn't love him at all, her heart just belongs to Majnun. Despite her loveless marriage. um, So this is an interesting part. They talk about how she is a, a loyal daughter and a faithful wife. Yet she does not consummate the marriage at all. So I guess that just means she doesn't like run away from the husband honoring her father, but an actually a really interesting kind of modern feminist piece of this is that they talk a lot about how Layla just really felt like a prisoner as like a woman in this time and in this culture and that she really didn't want to be beholden to her father or to this rich man. And and that was part of her way of like maintaining autonomy was just by not consummating the marriage. In that time period, like the quote unquote merchant was like the doctor or, uh, or lawyer of that time. It's like everybody wants their daughter to marry a merchant, right? Yeah. A businessman. Yeah, solid. I guess I mean it's like financial stability, a good provider, et cetera, oh, et cetera. I totally get it. It's just funny. Yeah, that that was of a <laughs> uh, of a standard that you would want to marry off your daughter. You're not marrying your daughter off to the poet. You're marrying your daughter off to the merchant. Yeah, but Layla is heartbroken. She's just so sad living her new life. She cries herself to sleep when Majnun hears that Layla has been married to the told to rich dude. It just puts him in a total tailspin and his family gives up hope for his return. And they just start leaving food for him outside the village because he's living a total ascetic lifestyle. So he's, he's poor, he's broke, he's out there in the desert. He has a life of solitude minus his small army of wild animals, apparently. He doesn't speak to anybody. So there's some contradictions. He doesn't speak to anybody. However, travelers coming in and out of the village, he likes to recite more poetry. He writes the poetry in the sand with a stick. That was a detail I kept showing He doesn't converse with anybody, but he still continues to profess his love to anyone. Yes. He's like like Snow White the monk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> without apparently any like religious underpinning. Yes, exactly. Snow White with all of her animals, like dressing exactly. her. Yes, yes. Um, and his animals protect him. Uh, so his reputation is he's truly a madman and he's driven to madness by a broken heart. And many years pass. Majnun's parents die. And Layla knows how how important, how close they were there, uh, up until he up and ran out of the town. And so Layla felt really compelled. She's like, I need Majnun to find, like, to know about this. So she writes a letter, sends word, gets somebody out there to tell him about his passing. And he's, of course, he's devastated. And now he's full of remorse and loss. And he retreats even further into himself. So he's now out in the desert with his horde of animals. It's very, very sad. A few more years pass, and now Layla's husband dies. 
Because remember, he was he was old. So this actually allows Layla for the first time to actually publicly grieve. But she's not grieving for old rich dude. She's grieving for her loss of Majnun and, and that love that she wanted to actualize. You know, Layla's still a young woman. And now she's so hopeful. She's like, oh my gosh, now, now is my time. I can go get my true love out of the desert and, you know, reintegrate him into society. But unfortunately, tradition stated that Layla had to stay at home to mourn her husband's passing for two years without seeing another soul. This idea of like waiting another two years simply was completely too much for Layla. And she's already been waiting for so long that apparently she dies of a broken heart. And she's alone in her house and she never sees Majnun again. What? Never sees him again. News of her death travels to Majnun. And he, of course, now is even, he's devastated. And he immediately goes to where she is buried. And he's so overcome with sadness and grief that he dies at her grave. So you see like the the Romeo and Juliet? I see, I see it. Parallels? Mm -hmm. So what what does this have to do with Eric and Patty? The classic hit song, Layla. What do you know about Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd? Anything? Yeah, I I know the story. Oh, well, why didn't you tell it then? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, but I know so, she was married to George Harrison for for years, and Eric Clapton was in love with her during that marriage, and maybe they did have some sort of affair, right? Mm-hmm. While they were married, so Eric and letters were written. Was so in love with Patty, and then he read the Nizami, the the poet. He read the book, and he was so moved by this tale of this young man hopelessly in love with a beautiful young girl, who went crazy when he couldn't marry her, he mm-hmm. felt like, he's like, this is me. This is me. He had such an unrequited love for Patty. Who's the wife of George Harrison. Who's not just married. Like Eric and George Harrison apparently were, were good friends. Yeah. They were like um, at that point in time, it was a mess. They partied together. And I only know the story through documentaries, circle back to documentaries that I've watched, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like it was pretty intense. Yeah. And so he, he likens Majnun's desert, you know, he's in the desert and blah, 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 blah. He likens that to his years of self-imposed heroin use. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Eric Clapton's heroin use and Majnun's aesthetic or aesthetic. Uh, he's retreating into another world. Exactly. Self-imposed exile. But... There is a more positive spin. Well, unfortunately, Layla and Majnun, who probably weren't actually really real people, they are characters in a poem, folklore. Patty Boyd and Eric Clapton, they're real people. And they actually, they got married in 1979. So that's the happy little ending to that. I mean, I'm sure there's tons more heartbreak and awful aspects of relationships because relationships do have up and down, but we'll end on a, we'll end on a high note. He got his girl. He got his girl. Okay. And he got his girl. Interesting. And now, you know, pretend we have the high budget in which we now play. What part of the song would you play right now? I think I'd play the like, that like mounting guitar part. I mean, it's Clapton. You got to play the guitar. Yeah. I mean, great story. Do they, do they, um, are they still married? 
think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, the story of Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd is pretty good. Is a pretty good story, and like the the love triangle with uh, George Harrison and sort of depressing. And I and I also think that there were many letters written. It always sounded to me a little bit like a you know want what you can't have kind of scenario. Oh yeah, you know, plus maybe just like dueling rock stars, good friends, but with like a maybe possibly not so healthy competition going on between the two of them. She was a real hot ticket too. She was a model and photographer. She was the, the, the look of that like British era. Yeah. I mean, I love both Eric Clapton and um, George Harrison. So, Oh, I think they ended, they stayed friends in the end. Well, apparently also Patty Boyd, not only, is inspiration for the song Layla, which by the way is spelled L-A-Y-L-A, but Layla Majun is spelled L-A-I-L-A. Hmm. In case that's at all of value to anybody. But apparently she was also the inspiration for the song Something and Wonderful tonight. Oh, she was the inspiration for something because I remember reading that something is one of my favorite songs. So by like watching something, ah, watching something, watching some documentary that did cover this relationship, I realized that George Harrison's songs are some of my favorite Beatles songs. George Harrison wrote something about her. Um, That's a great song. It is a great song. Beautiful love. Love that song. So my story tonight is maybe you're the one who, who shared the, the sweeter tale this week. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the sweeter tale. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's open to interpretation, you know, not only by us but also by our audience. So my my love story this week is, and I'm sure you've heard this story because it's been covered many different times in many different genres. It is the crazy love story between Carl Tanzler. And Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos. You know this story? Do you know? No, I have no idea where you're going. I'm, I'm in it. Let's go. So Carl Tanzler, sometimes referred to as Count Carl Tanzler or Count Carl von Kossel, was a. Is this Dracula? <laughs> no, it's not Dracula. Oh, Van Helsing (laughs) grew up in Germany. Wait, is this Batman? It's not Batman. It is Batman or Dracula. Although maybe Batman and Dracula are the same person, right? It's all about bats. So Carl Tanzler, German, uh, grew up in Germany. And he left, he did a lot of traveling, he went all over the world, he went to Australia, all through World War I, he was traveling. In about 1920, he returned to Germany. He married a lovely woman named Doris, and together they had two children. However, he still had the itch to travel, so he uprooted his wife and children, and they moved to the beautiful state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Yes. The armpit of the United States. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I can say that because I live in New Jersey. And so. <laughs> yeah. So very shortly after he moves with his wife and children to Florida, he ditches them and goes off to Key West because he's a doctor 
possibly may not really be a doctor. Oh, delightful. Yes. I do, yes. Yes, this is a good one. Yeah. This one's so good. Runs off to Key West to work with tuberculosis patients in a hospital in Key West. Which is very noble. It's such a noble cause. I'm not sure why he couldn't bring his family who he had already moved from Germany to Florida just a little bit further down to Key West. But he didn't want to expose them to the TB, to the consumption. Right. I'm sure that was why. It may also have been because he had a recurring dream that his aunt, Countess Anna Contacha, (laughs) (laughs) the Countess Anna Constantia von Kassel was trying to reveal to him that he was not with his one true love and that he was really meant to be with this beautiful, exotic, dark-haired woman from further south. Just a little bit further south. Just a little further south. Go all the way to Key West and you found her. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes to Key West and very shortly after he begins working there, he meets... Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos, who goes to visit the hospital that he's working at because, unfortunately, very sadly, almost everyone in her family, she's a Cuban-American woman, and she is has come down with symptoms of tuberculosis. Her whole family basically has this illness. Um, I think the majority of her family ends up dying of tuberculosis, unfortunately. Mm. But the, she was the beauty of Key West. Everybody considered her to be the handsomest woman around. So it's not surprising that when he saw her immediately, the visions that he's had of his countess aunt come to his mind. He thinks this is definitely the woman for me. And, you know, basically he hadn't already forgotten his wife, just slightly further North. He's now completely forgotten her. And where in Florida is the rest of the family? Oh, it's something, some, some name in Florida that I absolutely purposefully left out because I didn't want to have to pronounce it. Um, now I will tell you um, something with a Z. Uh, Z? A Z, yeah. Mm-hmm. Zephyr Hills. Actually, not really that hard at all. Zephyr Hills, Florida. Zephyr Hills, Florida. Like I didn't even make any attempt to even think about it. Just like, <laughs> like it's yeah. a really hard word. Let me pronounce it easy peasy. It's like, ugh, there's a Z and just like a lot of letters, and I'm pretty tired right now, and I just can't even be bothered. Um, so anyway, he he leaves his family in Zephyr Hills, meets Mar- Maria Elena in the hospital, and basically tells her family that he's going to cure her of tuberculosis. At this point, there is no cure for tuberculosis, and it's basically a death sentence. If you have tuberculosis, like maybe you'll have it for years, maybe you'll you'll move to some sort of dry climate where supposedly you'll be cured or you'll go to a hot spring, but eventually you're going to die from it. He decides, no, he's going to save her. He basically moves into her house. He's determined to save her. He professes his love to her. He says, when I save you, I'm going to marry you. It's really unclear whether this was... Uh, one-sided love or not, but I believe she was actually married at the time to someone else who had had abandoned her, but still, I don't think she was available to the count. So he he tries by, you know, every means and his, he's very wealthy and I think it wasn't a very wealthy community. And so her family is happy to accept 
all of the care that he's willing to give because it means that they're going to get specialized care. And he brings in all yeah. the equipment that they have not seen. I think he was even like doing electric shock on her. He definitely pulled out all the guns. He was trying to figure out some sort of new technology to cure tuberculosis. And they liken it to kind of like a, a Dr. Frankenstein scenario. Mm. But unfortunately, he is not able to save her. And Maria Elena finally does succumb to the illness and pass away. And he is just beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. He is devastated. The family, again, doesn't have very much money, but he tells them that he's going to handle all the funeral arrangements and he is going to erect a mausoleum in her memory in the local cemetery. And so he does this. He has this beautiful mausoleum built and he has her body placed inside the mausoleum. So, you know, with a mausoleum, you're not placed in the ground. You're above the ground in this beautiful Mm. structure, entombed in this structure. Every night he goes to the mausoleum and spends time with Maria Elena's body. And I'm totally normal. What's going on? Like, yeah, totally, totally normal. Nothing, totally normal. Nothing to see here, folks. Um, but, Just hanging out with my dead girlfriend. Yeah. Who possibly wasn't even into me at all. Um, so he's spending a lot of time there. Key West is not, I've never been to Key West. Have you been to Key West? Yeah, I have. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I actually, I feel like I should like go back on my, on my snide little remark about Florida and I've really enjoyed my time in Florida and Key West. I've been down there twice in my life. It's awesome. You're on the, you're in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. So the water is very warm. Um, it's uh, the keys are, you know, they're all little islands. Yeah. The archipelago. Um, and, or no, I guess the archipelago has to like, be semi-autonomous away from a land structure i don't know um but it's just it's great it's like a it's a bunch of small islands all connected by this one road um i think actually i think it's like route one or something (laughs) all the way down or like maybe it's like 95 or something like that Um, community though right like it's very chill and everybody's partying now yes i just remember the first time i was there i was a teenager and I remember thinking, I wish there were so many like chill middle-aged people where I live, AKA they're all like, you know, they've been throwing them back since 11 AM. So yeah, they're chill. Everybody's <laughs> very relaxed there. Well, I don't know how but it's gorgeous. Back. It's, it's, it's beautiful. The water's lovely and yeah. it's very close to Cuba. I don't know how it was um, during the thirties, right? It is very close to Cuba that Maria was uh, Cuba. It is route one, by the way. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, I, I, where were we? Hmm. Oh, so anyway, so, so he's, he's chilling. He's chilling in the mausoleum. He's chilling in the mausoleum. It's a very small community at this point in time. And everybody knows what's going on. So everybody knows that he's going to this mausoleum every night to spend time with her. Not only that, he's serenading her corpse. He's playing the guitar. He's singing. And I just have this like funny picture of this German dude singing Spanish songs to this corpse outside of a mausoleum. Or maybe he was inside of it. I have no idea. No, I'm I'm sure he's in there. Don't go all the way this far without, you know, you're in there. Yeah. I mean, people are seeing it though. There's what there are witnesses. Uh, Well, they can hear him singing. All of a sudden, 
out of the blue, he stops and he no longer visits her tomb. Huh? Yes. Which, you know, is a red flag for her sister. It's like, what's going on? Why did you find, are you cheating on my sister? Did you find someone else? (laughs) It's just, is there another corpse in your life? (laughs) And other people start to notice that his behavior while remaining very odd has changed and he's spending a lot of time at home and he's dancing and singing and sort of having the same ritual that he had outside of the mausoleum. Just now he's doing it all at home. And everybody's like, hmm, what is going on here? You know? And it turns out that he has taken Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos out of her tomb and has brought her to his house. And her as sister, one does. Yes, as one, as one would. <laughs> and um, her sister is very upset about this. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're a Catholic family. I'm sure that they are completely uncomfortable with the idea that her body is not at rest anymore. And, you know, I can't even, I mean, never mind the fact that you don't have to be religious to be disturbed by that. So she goes to his house to confront him and she brings the police and they go inside and they find that in fact he has exhumed Maria's body and has been living with this corpse, which he that has must have smelled so bad. Painstakingly embalmed. Um, essentially he has created, you know, he, he's mummified her in, a, in his own way. Basically he attached her bones together with piano wire. He replaced her eyes with glass eyes Um, Where her skin had started to deteriorate and decompose, he gently laid silk cloths, and he then soaked in wax. He used plaster of (laughs) Paris. He created a wig for her out of collecting all all the hairs that fell from her head. He collected and gathered and sewed into a wig for her, or bound together into a wig for her. Did he make a nice lace, lace front? Yeah, he made a lace front. He was very specific Mm -hmm. about that. He filled her body with rags so that she would stay full. He dressed her up in beautiful clothes, gloves, jewelry, and he slept with her every single night. Spooning or copulation? I mean, I don't know the exact details, but there was evidence to suggest that he did consummate uh, their relationship post-mortem. Mm. Yeah, not a great situation. (laughs) Can't imagine why her sister was upset. Yeah, anyway, I I guess there was evidence of lots of disinfectants, perfume, preserving agents, everything to be able to like mask the decomposition. And I think that he had had some sort of wedding ceremony between the two of them privately, but anyway... Now that's talking, that sounds like Beetlejuice to me. It does. So the body was confiscated by the local authorities, but it was somehow put on display, I guess, because it was, it, it, it absolutely mesmerized the people in the area. I mean, this, this was actually a very high profile story. It got a lot of press. It was big, it was big news all over the world and all over the country. As many as the 6,800 people came to kind of see her corpse firsthand. 
which is just great. When I heard about this, yeah, that people, it, his execution, it was so artfully done. I mean, his motives behind it were ridiculous and wrong. No, however, he did an incredible job. Yeah, no, he did a really yeah. good job. It was, it was fascinating to embalmers at the time. Like they were studying it. Totally bananas. Her body's confiscated. He is put on trial for this, but statute of limitations uh, for, I don't know what, kidnapping a corpse <laughs> run out. <laughs> um, the, the charges were dropped. I don't think that they could find proof of, I don't, I don't even know if they, if they even tried to charge him with any kind of like necrophilia. Um, I think that they just dropped the charges and basically said that he was not mentally fit to uh, stand trial. And he continued to live in that community for at least a little while. Her body was removed from from the exhibit that it was in, and then it was buried in a private cemetery in an unmarked grave, which is kind of sad um, in a secret location because her sister basically didn't want him to have anything to do with her anymore. Yeah. But it's kind of like she's, a She's protecting her. She was yeah, protecting, protecting her. her. Yeah. According to Tansler, when he was serenading her, she was whispering to him from the grave that she wanted to be released from her tomb and that she wanted to be with him and that she loved him and that she wanted them to be together. There were witnesses that saw them dancing in his house. So he was like continuing to serenade her every night. Um, I mean, he's madly in love with this woman. It's, and obviously he was not okay, you know. No, he he's a little is is this the same guy? I'm I don't not sure if this is the same story or if this was a different story. Did he have a phone in her tomb? A telephone? Oh no, that's a separate story. I know that story that you're talking about. Okay. Cause I, I remember thinking like that's utterly ludicrous, but everything about this story is also you know I mean or maybe nonsensical. But it wasn't in the references that I saw or I overlooked it. Um, but I think I know what you're talking about. And it was separate. In any event, he recreated her corpse after it was confiscated from him. And he continued to live with the recreation of her corpse and sleep with the recreation of her corpse every night until he died at the age of 75 in 1950. Wow. And when, when did she pass away? 23 years? In the 30s, she passed away in 1931, I think. Yeah, 1931, she passed away. And he died in 1952. It's a long time. He's like a weird uh, pre... What was sort I'm looking for? Uh, and it, it's still... It's debated whether or not he actually did find her body again and reunite himself with her corpse and and or, you know, made his own corpse, um, a, a, a new, like, wax figurine that he... Auntie whispered it to him in a dream, and he hunted her down. Yeah. The weirdest part about but, this is that he moved back to Germany, I guess, with this corpse and was cared for by his original wife. Yes, that's odd. Is this the inspiration for Weekend at Bernie's? I, I know it's weird. I mean, it's definitely one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. So, yeah, appropriate, right? I, it's definitely got a lot more going on in the crazy department than just like wearing depends one time so that you can go. Well, I, one of the things I think is actually the one of the odder spins of this story is the fact that you know you're you're hearing this whole story and you're going like, 
you know, this is clearly a, a man with skewed reality with his whole, like, first off, he, he's a man with bad judgment. He leaves his family. I have judgments around that. You know, he leaves his family. He's going to, like, he obsesses over this young woman. It already takes a really dark turn when he's obsessing over her and her care and then paying for her burial and all of the, those pieces. But I think one of the oddest aspects is that this cultural phenomenon where everyone's like, oh, yeah, actually, I want to see that corpse. And people line up. Don't they, like, line up to see? 100% so they come today, too, for sure. Yeah. Which yeah. is, like, weirdly normalizes his bizarre behavior at the time, not currently. I don't condone it whatsoever, but it was on it's almost like a... Play in a funeral home in Key West, and 7,000 people went to go see it. Yeah. That's a lot. I, I don't know how many people live in Key West, but I don't think it's 7,000 and not in the 1930s. Yeah. Pretty crazy. What people will do for love. For love. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what you I've, I've, I think I've, I officially am no longer just the one that tells the sad dark story <laughs> I mean, is it a sad dark story or is it just a beautiful tale of someone who cannot let go of the love he feels for this woman loves her i'm so very willing to sleep with I, her stinking rotting body every night well i mean there wasn't much body to stink or rot at that point i mean if he's like tying her bones together with piano wire my question is, I want to know more about auntie, German yeah. auntie countess, who's coming to him in a dream and telling him about this love he must find. Like, who's she? And tell me about these dreams, because how could one be so compelled? Was she still alive or was she just like apparition coming in his dreams? No, she died in 1765. The Countess of Kossel. What did she um, think of this? She was a lady in waiting and mistress of Augustus the Strong, the King of Poland. I mean, did she say, "Oh yes, yes, I condone this she was love"? Eventually exiled. This is a love. She was this is a love of the ages. I don't know what she said to him in his um, in his visions. He she just told him that he was destined to be with this dark beauty and not with his wife can you imagine if find out your your nephew's like well you told me to do it in the dream right i did this because you told me to you told me to embalm her body and 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 put her bones together with piano wire and so make the dopest lace front you can make from all of her hair falling out of her head what'd you say silk skin silk silk and wax Silk and wax. There are pictures of her, and I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible. Well, you have to be incredible to draw the crowds of seven thousand. Well, job well done. I think we both totally hit crazy. Hit the nail, the crazy nail, right on the head. Thank you. With a hammer. Don't expect me to put words together. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So. I don't know. I feel disturbed now, to be honest. I think I'm going to stick to the to the to the sweeter tales. The sweeter tales feel the way that I that I wanted this um, this love 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 podcast to make me feel. 
Well, I have to say, I think you did a really good job telling the story that, you know, it was, it's, it seemed genuine and authentic. And, and I mean, all, through and through, I think he truly extreme intense feelings for, um, what was the poor gal's name? Maria Elena. Maria Elena Milagro. Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos. I mean, it, I think he really did have a lot of feelings for her. Uh, they were just not, he didn't have great boundaries. I don't think he had boundaries at all. Exhuming a body is pretty intense. Like, yeah. <sighs> what did he do before he moved to Florida and was a doctor? Well, he was a radiology technologist. I don't know. I mean, like his, his title is sort of unclear to me. He was in the medical field for a while. No, actually, it's kind of like unclear whether he was really a doctor or if he was just presenting himself as a doctor and people were taking him seriously because he definitely had some sort of money. Hmm. I've heard different takes. I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, when you take a theme like crazy little thing called love, it's going to go many different ways. And I think you you did a great job there. Thank you. And I have to say, I am, I am shocked. I did not anticipate a, a darker, a slightly darker side to that, to that story. Oh, I need to correct myself. He did not. He later um, moved to Tampa and lived next door to his original wife, Doris, but continuing to live in Maria Elena's body. He did not move back to Germany. Because I was thinking about that. I was like, how did he get this corpse from from the United States or even like the fake corpse? But he did not. He was still living in the beautiful, the beautiful state of Florida. Key West is great. I do. I do recommend if you ever get yourself down in that neck of the woods. I will. I'll get myself there. Probably road trip. I remember when I was there. Uh, apparently, Hemingway lived down there for a while, and this is this. I might be completely butchering this story, but um, Hemingway and his wife had a very tumultuous life apparently actually so the the bloody mary is somewhat developed based on a drink that he used to drink which was like vodka and tomato juice and his wife didn't like that he drank so he like threw in a bunch of other stuff so it didn't appear like a alcoholic beverage it's but i salad. distinctly remember that you can drink it's no big deal at salad. all no vodka in here it's a sad liquid salad liquid it salad it has celery tonic maybe some olives right lemon delicious so when I was in Key West, there's, uh, I guess his former residence is down there and he had such a thing. I don't like what was, I don't understand why you would dislike your wife so much. They so would like create new drinks to be like, she can't tell me not to drink. So I'm just going to, apparently she was afraid of heights and he wanted to get away from her when he was writing. So he built like this like tree house with a gangplank. Well, and I mean, so he has this adult tree house that he would go and write in, but he knew that she wouldn't go out there and bother him. In that movie in Love and War about him. And uh, didn't he lose his one true love in war or it was like an, a, another love triangle that didn't work out for him? And so... I don't think I'm not sure he was particularly fond of his wife. I think he might have settled always having eyes. It's not her fault. No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's a total witch. I don't know anything about her. But it just it seems that he was uh not particularly kind to her. And uh yeah, just it's a different era these days. It's like if you 
don't like your partner that you're living with, I would sooner move out and get another place than build a tree house and a gangplank to avoid seeing said partner. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that doesn't seem like the easiest solution to me. Yes. And love and war. I guess I'll have to cue that. Yeah. Cue it up. Cue it up. Chris O'Donnell, an actor who appeared and disappeared at at his peak, right? Wasn't he Robin in Batman? He was. He was in a few movies and he was like, you know, I don't know. I think he was doing pretty well, but he just, he just quit. He quit, he quit the biz. Is he living life like a a normal person? I have no idea. Chris O'Donnell, where are you? Anyone has any leads? Write in, tell us. He's a good looking man. Yeah, he's a very handsome man. Okay, well, Kim, what do you say? Wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You've heard from us and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have a love story to share? Looking for some advice of the love variety? Reach out on email, morethanacrushpodcast at gmail.com and find us on Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Special thank you to Natalie Joachim, who composed our theme music. We're so appreciative, Natalie. Thank you. We love you.